2: Hey everyone, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining us on Her Money today. We are in the final month of 2021. Can you believe it? Actually, I suspect that many of you listening right now are more than ready to bid goodbye to this year, or at the very least, you're looking forward to a fresh start in 2022, a genuine fresh start during a year when we can actually travel go to a gym, get a massage, see a Broadway show, do all of those things that we haven't been doing for a couple of years now. But as we head into a new year with high hopes for what it holds, frankly, we need more than hope. We need goals. We need plans. We need intention. And more than that, what we don't need is a half-hearted New Year's resolution that we're going to stick with for, oh, maybe 30 days until we forget about it because we just didn't set ourselves up for success. We didn't have any plan for consistency and making it happen day after day after day. And on today's show, we are going to throw everything that you think you know about New Year's resolutions right out the window. We are gonna get very real on how to create lasting change in our lives. And we're doing this show a few weeks in advance of the new year so that you all have the time to lay out a real plan, a 90-day plan, to be precise. Here to walk us through the steps that we need to take to make 2022 our year for real change is Tanisha Jackson Warner. She is founder and CEO of the Igami Group, which is a leading multicultural marketing and communications firm with clients like Procter & Gamble and Target and Verizon and Major League Baseball and Toyota and many, many more. Tanisha is also the author of The Big Stretch, 90 Days to Expand Your Dreams, Crush Your Goals, and Create Your Own Success. And in The Big Stretch, Tanisha presents a customizable career workout routine designed to catapult you from where you are to where you want to be, whether you are looking to escape the daily 9-to-5 grind or embrace more risk or start a business or pursue your biggest and boldest dreams. Tanisha, welcome. I cannot wait to dive into this. Oh, thank you so much, Jean, for having me. I am thrilled to be here. You have been CEO of the company that you founded for 14 years. Tell me a little bit about you, how you got your start and maybe some of your best secrets for growing a firm from an idea to a multi million dollar concept?
3: Well, Jean, it actually started with me kind of taking a moment to be very reflective and to answer some tough questions and get honest with myself around what is it that I truly desire to do in life. So I started my career, Gene working at IBM Global Services. I was climbing the corporate track. And by society's standards, things were going awesome. By my grandmother's standard, life was very good because her granddaughter landed a good, good job. But there was one part of the equation that was missing. Number one, I chose that career kind of really having outside factors be the driver of the decisions. Like, okay, is this okay for my family? Is this acceptable, you know, to my grandma? And then most importantly, it was all about the earning potential. Can I make money doing this? The thing that was not a part of the equation at all was, what is your purpose? What is your passion? And are you going to be fulfilled doing this? And those were questions I never asked. And I found myself waking up to an amazing job by society standards, an amazing salary and climbing the corporate ladder, but extremely unhappy and not fulfilled. And it was during that period that I made a decision that I was going to redesign my life where passion and purpose would be in the driver's seat. And that would be the most important thing, not earning potential, but just simply passion and purpose. Sometimes we hear those
2: two words in the same sentence a lot, passion and purpose, but they're different. When you think about passion and purpose, what do you mean?
3: So I think they're interconnected. So I think if you pay attention to the things that you're interested in and or you're passionate about Sometimes it will lead you to sort of this interconnectedness around you discovering your why or reason for being. So, your why and reason for being, that's more like a halo, like purpose, right? But it can be daunting, Gene, to tell someone, Tell me your purpose. We aren't born just knowing our purpose. And I think. Purpose is a discovery journey. It's not like this one destination where you say, I got it. I got my purpose. But it's more of I'm being willing to be led on a journey where I'm I'm putting my passion first. And that usually leads to a purpose journey. So, for example, when I started, I asked myself some of the simple questions are, what are your gifts? Like, what are you really naturally talented at? that you know you can do this well. I jotted down things like project management, organization, timeline management. And then I asked myself, and what are those things that you're passionate about? I didn't even start thinking about like, can I make a career? It was just, what are you passionate about? I was passionate about fashion. I was passionate about clothing. I was passionate about entertainment. I was passionate about community and culture. And I listed those things down and then I said, how can I better align myself to some of these passions? And once I made that decision, that became sort of a direction point of where I volunteered my time. Mm -hmm. And from me being willing to volunteer with those passion correlation points, it later put me on a purposeful journey. So does that make sense, Jean? It does.
2: Yeah. And what I like so much about it are a couple of things. I mean, I totally agree with you. I think our purpose, like knowing this is my purpose in life, you know, expecting somebody in their 20s or 30s, or even somebody, you know, who's taken a break from work or who's been working at a job, expecting anyone who hasn't really thought about it and considered it to know their purpose, I think is unreasonable. I think you're right. It is a discovery. But I also love that You didn't flip a switch while you were working your desk job at IBM
3: and just start this company. You put in some work. Absolutely. So after I made that list of what I was passionate about, I then decided I was gonna volunteer in some of those areas. So I was still working at IBM, but I was volunteering. So Jean, you name it. I volunteered on a movie set. I did something in the costume design area. I volunteered with Russell and Kimora Simmons. They were doing really big things in entertainment. The more I volunteered, the more I was able to determine what my purpose was not, as well as what were those things that made my heart beat really fast. So I got in action first while still having that other job, but I was paying attention when I was volunteering to what are the things that I think better align with I think I would actually be willing to do it for free. And I know that's a big like, ah. but that was like a question in my mind. Eventually, I did have to make a daring move. I did leave IBM Global Services without having another job. And that's not the formula for everyone. We'll talk about that in a minute because I feel the more responsibilities you have, there's a such thing as called dreaming responsible. But at the time, I didn't have a lot of responsibilities and I could afford to take a daring move, leaving one job without having another. However, I knew I only had X amount of time before it turned into something. And so make a long story short, I did land a job opportunity sort of in the entertainment space that was allowing me to connect corporate brands with multicultural audiences and communities. I knew this is my sweet spot. I love it. I knew that because it didn't feel like work. I knew that because I looked forward to Mondays. Eventually, by just working and contributing hard in my passion space, it did lead to me starting my own company, which is the Gami Group. But that was a journey. It wasn't like I had the perfect formula in the beginning. It was just a willingness to be led by passion and interest versus earning potential only.
2: Yeah, you are saying so many smart things, right? Because it's always a bit of a dance at first. When I started my business after getting fired from Money Magazine, I had a client, right? I had a client. I had one client, right? But I understood that if I could get more clients, then I could build something around this. And it took time for this business of mine to take shape right it took time for us to figure out what business we were in and so it's an evolution it doesn't have to be perfect on day 1 tell me a little bit about the book tell me about the big stretch what is it
3: about 90 days all right so a couple things i do want to share with the listeners the inspiration behind the book so the inspiration behind the big stretch I basically have lived a dream journey for 17 plus years. You heard me tell you a snapshot, leaving one job, moving to a city, New York City, didn't know a soul and creating something from nothing and actually moving an idea from idea into a business forum. Because I lived that, I knew certain key learnings that I wanted to share with other dreamers. I'm a firm believer that dreamers do not let dreamers dream alone. So one of my passion points was if I can give any of the lessons that I've learned to someone else to live a more purposeful path, I wanted to do that. Secondly, I created a project entitled The Dream Project around eight years ago And I would bring in these iconic dreamers like Jennifer Fleiss, the founder of Rent the Runway, Magic Johnson, Kathy Hughes. I would interview them at this symposium and just basically share knowledge. Well, here's what I realized. After interviewing 200 plus iconic dreamers, I started to see that there was some universal truths that was a commonality across all of their stories. And so I then took on the challenge of if I can create what I call a dreamer's blueprint, a dreamer's boot camp to get the masses started on the dream, then that's what I wanted to do. And so that's the inspiration behind the big stretch. The big stretch is broken down into four phases that I found as those commonalities amongst those iconic dreamers. There's a dream phase. There's a design phase, there is a dare phase, and then it's do. I have broken those phases down. There's exercises that you do week over week. And then Gene, to answer your question, why 90 days, is people actually need to see results and traction. And I know from a standpoint of the way that we run my business at Igami Group and many corporations, We look at the year from a 12 month perspective, but then we also have our quarterly goals and objectives. Those quarterly goals and objectives is 90 days. And so I knew if we could break this down into a blueprint where the reader could start to experience some success in their dream path very early on, then that would be the motivation to keep going. So that's why 90 days versus you know, 12 months. I want you to get some real traction over the the 90-day period to get you started. And then you can continue creating those goals in 90-day increments going forward. This is so interesting to me
2: because after the television show, The Biggest Loser came out, I got a lot of calls saying, let's just do this with money, right? But the thing about The Biggest Loser and the thing about any diet is that if you're actually doing it, you can see some results really quickly. And sometimes with money, the results come a little more slowly and you need a little bit more time. It's also less visual and that makes it more difficult. But what I'm hearing you say is that when it's your career, when it's your life path, you have to give yourself even more time to see those results. It is, and that's hard, right? That is hard. It is hard to stick with a process where you don't see these wins coming at you fast and furious. So how do you keep people with it over
3: the 90 days? Well, I think first and foremost, it's really about the mental and the dedication and knowing that great results, they actually come by way of dedication, commitment, and consistency. Just knowing what you put in it is what you're going to get out. Like honestly, looking back over my business journey, there's a direct correlation. You use the biggest loser, so I'll tell you a personal story. I gained weight in COVID. Gene, I'm guilty, right? I gained weight during the pandemic, a lot of stress eating. And going into 2022, I did make up in my mind. I want to do something and I know I have to work at this. So I put myself in a 90 day plan. Now, of course, this isn't a business plan, but the story is the same type of analogy. I had to work every single day of that plan. And I know if I want the results, there's a direct correlation to the actions that I'm doing daily.
2: So can we take a step-by-step walkthrough of what a woman might do in those 90 days? Let's say that we've got a woman who is either looking to start her own business or to get a new job. Maybe she was one of those people who left work during the great resignation. Can you give me a sense of what might her steps be? How do we measure her progress? I have more questions, but let's start with those. She's going to get a job. What are her steps?
3: Okay. Well, first off, Jean, I love this. Let's give her a name. What do you want to name this woman that we're going to take through this dream journey?
2: (laughs) Oh boy, oh boy. Let's
3: name her Elaine. That's my mother's name. Okay. So let's go. So first off, you said that Elaine left the workforce during the pandemic. The first challenge that I would give Elaine and using those four phased approach that we talked about in the book, dream, design, dare, do, In the dream phase, I would actually spend time with Elaine asking her to do a lot of introspective work around what is it that you desire to do next? What is your dream? And one thing that I found, Jean, is people don't necessarily give themselves time to imagine and especially imagine freely. I mean, last time you looked at your calendar and you said, hey, I got a three-hour block to just dream freely.
2: Last time I had a three-hour block, I think I took a nap. I got to tell you.
3: <laughs> so the first thing I would do is before Elaine just goes jumping back out there doing something, we want to make sure that her next move is purposeful. So I'll challenge her to dream again in the dream phase. And there's tons of exercises at thebigstretchbook.com in that first phase. There's a purpose questionnaire. There is some imagination exercises. There are things that actually support you in pulling out. What is your dream?
2: So during this phase, during the dream phase, and then even during the next phase, which what remind me, what's that called? Design. But when you're dreaming,
3: right, how do you measure whether you're actually making progress? So the challenge in the dream phase is I just want you to listen to your heart around what is it that you desire in this season in your life. So for Elaine, if she left the workforce, maybe in this season of her life, there is an opportunity for her to make a career change that she always wanted to do. Or maybe she's decided, I want to redesign my life in a way that my next career move allows me to work from home. I don't return to an office full time. I don't know what that's going to be for Elaine, but I need Elaine to know what that is for her before she starts taking action. So again, that's really doing the work internally. Eventually in the dream phase, what I have you do is I would have Elaine write down the vision that she sees for herself over the next 12 month period. And I would advise, her, do not think about the how too prematurely, because when you start to think about the how prematurely, you start to shrink your dreams before you even allow them an opportunity to come into fruition. But some of the questions I would have is how many people have benefited from this idea or career move? What type of impact have you made What does this look like? What does this journey look like for you? What type of business idea have you brought to life? And I'm almost having her stand in the future from a 12-month period. And I want her to write it down. So first, we're going to ask Elaine to write it down and get excited about it. Don't start thinking about the how too prematurely. Okay. Then. Okay. So once she has that, and let's give Elaine a dream. we're going to give Elaine a dream, okay? Elaine
2: wants to open a bakery because that's my dream.
3: (laughs) Okay, so Elaine has decided that she came out of the career force in the pandemic, but she has now decided she would like to open a bakery. That's her 12-month vision, okay? So I would have her be very specific, Where is the bakery? What makes the bakery so special? Who are your sort of ideal clients that's coming in and out of the bakery? Still in this dream phase. Okay. Let's take Elaine
2: into, if we can, into the next phase because I don't want to get to phase three and have my producer say, we are
3: out of time. Okay. So we're going to move her to design now. Okay. So The next phase in design, I'm going to now start moving you out of the imagination phase into reality. In the design phase, basically, I'm having you start to shape your 90-day plan as well as your overall almost like a 12-month vision. So in that design phase, I have you write out... And these are SMART goals. And I know you've heard of SMART goals. Sure, SMART, they're
2: actionable, they're strategic, they're measurable. And what am I
3: missing? It's time. So we're gonna have her write it out in a way that it's specific so that your goal is direct and detailed. I'm opening the bakery by X amount of date or whatever that is. We need to make sure it's measurable. Your goal is quantifiable to track progress attainable, your goal is realistic, and you have the tools and resources to do it. It's relevant, so it aligns with who you are and like your why, and it's time-based. It needs to have a deadline. So I want you to first take a look at those things, and I want you to kind of outline that from a 12-month perspective. So Jean, we're going to say, Elaine is going to have the location for the bakery. It's going to be open over the 12 month. Like that's the ideal goal. The bakery will be open in one year. That's 12 months, okay? Mm -hmm. In order for us to map out the 90 day plan, I want to ask Elaine, Elaine, if you know in 12 months, you would like the bakery to be open, let's break down your goal into achievable parts what can we get done over the next 90 days? Like, what are the most critical things to do in order for that 12-month goal to happen? She's probably going to say things like, I need to research what it takes to open a bakery. I need to form an LLC or a business institution. I need to start researching locations for a bakery. I need to start researching what resources are going to be available to me from a funding perspective. So those are things that we can then say, well, what's achievable in 90 days? I think what could be achievable is incorporating or forming her business structure. I think another thing that could be achievable is for her having the business plan done in 90 days. And maybe another thing that can be achievable is finding some like-minded sources that she can interview that has opened a successful bakery where she can kind of glean knowledge. So those are things that can happen in the 90 days. I'm gonna force her to make sure it's very measurable because what is measured is what counts. So then at that point, you're in the design phase. You know you're gonna have a business plan, you know you're gonna form an LLC, and you know you're gonna identify three people that are running successful bakeries that you're gonna interview. Make it quantifiable and measurable. Ask yourself at the end of the 90 days, can I look in the mirror and say, did I do it or did I not do it? No gray areas.
2: No gray areas. I totally get it. And I'm with you on the things that are measured are actually the things that we manage. I I believe in that. All that and so much more is available on Think Fast, Talk Smart. Listen every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts or on
0: YouTube. Hey there, listeners. It's Nima Gobier. I'm the co-host of MindShift, the podcast where we explore the future of learning and how we raise our kids.
3: I don't teach math. I don't teach reading. I teach people.
0: You'll hear from teachers, parents, researchers, and students as we uncover innovative approaches in and out of the classroom.
3: It holds a lot about how we want students and young people to move through the world, how we want to set them up for
0: success. Find MindShift wherever you get your podcasts. I am talking with
2: Tanisha Warner. She is CEO of Igami Group Okay. We did our design phase and now we're moving on to the dare phase. What the hell is that?
3: (laughs) So the dare phase is out of all of those iconic dreamers that I told you about that I interviewed, all of them had a certain level of comfort in being daring in the name of their dream, in being willing to stretch. The whole definition of the big stretch is It is the distance between your comfort zone and your dream. It's the expansion that will be necessary for you to become the best version of yourself. So think about the dare phase as almost like the elasticity in a rubber band stretch. You're going to have to be daring in the name of your dream. In the dare phase, I really try to get the reader comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so we're going back to Elaine, right? Elaine has to set up her business structure, whether she's going to do a C-Corp or S-Corp or LLC. Elaine may tell herself a story. You know what? I'm very uncomfortable with the business aspect of it. I'm an amazing baker. I'm not a business person. I get that a lot from creative people. Like I don't want to necessarily lean into the business. I want to lean into my art. What I would say to Elaine is I want you to identify What are the things where you would have to stretch outside of your comfort zone in the name of this dream? Become aware of those things. So one, she may say, I'm going to have to learn what's the difference between an LLC, a C Corp and an S Corp and determine which structure is best for me. That may be uncomfortable for her. So that might be her dare in that section. I also said that I wanted her to talk to three successful bakery owners So she may say, you know what? I've never been the person that would pitch myself. I've never been the person that would reach out to a stranger and ask for their time. What I would say to Elaine is it's time to be daring in the name of your dream and be willing to be uncomfortable. Research those potential bakers and be willing to maybe send that LinkedIn message to say, hey, I'm going to be starting a bakery in 12 months. Do you mind doing a 20-minute informational interview with me where I can learn about your story and your journey? Now, Elaine might be very uncomfortable with that, but what I will say to her is you got to be comfortable being uncomfortable and daring in the name of your dream. So that's what the dare phase is about, is getting you comfortable expanding beyond that comfort zone so that you are moving in the direction of your dream. I'll pause to see if any questions before we do the last phase.
2: No, I was going to say, okay, I get that. And finally, we can move into the do phase. But we're still only 90 days, right? We're not opening the doors on this bakery
3: yet. You're not opening the doors. Remember, we have those three goals. You're going to have your business structure set up. You're going to have three informational interviews set up with a successful baker. And she was going to write her business plan. Yes. Okay. So we're still in the 90 days. So she's been daring. I need her to be comfortable being daring. And then the do is really giving her tools to understand that doing the dream, she has to be equipped to do the dream for the long term. And so, inside of those tools, there are stories where I let her know in advance every dreamer that I've ever interviewed, they encounter obstacles. And I need you to have the tenacity to keep going when you encounter your first obstacle. How do you do that? Well, there are exercises in that section of the book where I actually have them start to anticipate what's a roadblock that you think might come in your way and what are solutions around that roadblock. And so let's just say in the case of Elaine, she wants to open this business. Maybe one of the first roadblocks that she will see is, oh, my God, after doing this research, I'm going to need a minimal of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to open this bakery. Right. She can look at that as obstacle or an opportunity. I'll challenge her. Okay, this could be a potential obstacle, lack of capital or lack of funding. Let's start to brainstorm solutions for you to get over overcome that obstacle. I want you to find sources of funding that are available for women-owned business owners. I want you to be willing to apply for those. I want you to be willing to go in your bank and determine can you get the financing for this business? I want you to become so resourceful that you become very much so a skilled dreamer that knows obstacles here. It won't be a stop sign, but I understand the thought process to problem solve my way out of the obstacles. So the do phase is really trying to give the dreamer the tools to have the tenacity to do the dream for the long term. I want to take a step back here, Tanisha, because we've
2: spent a lot of time talking about, okay, you want to make up big change, right? You want to quit your job. You want to start a business. There are a lot of people who are listening who are in jobs or already have businesses that they're not leaving, and yet they have goals too. How do you apply your
3: philosophy if you want to make it work in the life you currently have? That is such a good question, Jean. So for all the listeners, Jean has your back. (laughs) <laughs> so here's the one thing that I found. The dreaming journey is not a one size fit all. I actually have something entitled the Dreamers Profile Assessment, where I actually encourage people to take this and you learn something about yourself on what dream path might be right for you. So there's one that's more like a make it happen dreamer or CEO This is like the profile that we're talking about with Elaine, where she wants to, for sure, start her own business, big move. But there are profiles in there, like a hobby dreamer. This is someone who says, I'm not quitting my job. My job takes care of me. My job takes care of my family. There's not an option for me to do that big of a move. But I'm looking for a bit more fulfillment that brings me joy. So for the hobby dreamer, it's about them still doing something that's goal-oriented, and getting something off the ground or or nurturing a hobby, but the hobby dreamer doesn't necessarily have the passion to make this hobby a monetized business entity that has to take care of their family. So I'll give you an example. I just hung up with an amazing dreamer that I'm gonna use for this. She is a corporate executive at a Fortune 50 company in America, very high ranking. You know, she and I brainstormed a few years ago. I told her, I said, I've never seen anyone dress as fashionable as you dress when you come to these different events. Have you ever thought about maybe creating a blog or leaning into that fashion? And so she actually just did a call with me. She's gonna retire in about three years, but in the interim, She's creating a whole digital platform. She's going to be blogging about fashion and style. She's going to be doing a podcast about fashion and style while she's working her job, but she's found a way to nurture her hobby in the interim. And we're working with very measurable things as well. So does that answer your question,
2: Jean? It does. It does. And it's a fantastic example. Last question for you. I have gotten letters from listeners and also had experience with some women in my own life who say, I want to achieve X, Y, or Z. I want to make this change, but I don't have any time. You've got a technique in the book where you describe conducting a time audit, tracking your time in 30 minute intervals. Can you just explain it and tell
3: us why it's helpful in reaching our goals? Well, Jean, I think you hit the nail on the head. So many of us are so busy. The first thing that is going to come to mind is I just don't see where and how I can do this. So, the purpose of the time audit is when you can see where your time is going and how you're spending it, and you can challenge yourself maybe to be more efficient then eventually that education has you become knowledgeable on where you can reclaim your time. So I have the listeners, your listeners, or the readers of the book, they actually observe themselves over a week period and you map your time, like what Jean said in a 30 minute increment. And if you need to do it for two weeks, that's fine. After you do that, I have you take a look at where your time is going and then An exercise with yourself to say, where can I reclaim some time? Okay, you may find, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize I actually binge watch about eight hours of TV over a week period. Or, you know what, I just realized I'm spending four hours a day cleaning my house and doing laundry. I, I then challenge you to be resourceful. Where are the easy areas you can get time back for yourself? Well, some of it is going to be like that TV watching. If this is important for you to get that blog off or it's important for you to do the research for the bakery, I'll challenge you for the 90-day period, we're going to go away with your Netflix binge watch and give that time back to yourself. And or in some cases, if you're financially able, I may say to the woman, Is the four hours of what you're doing here really worth it? Can you bring in support or outsource some things that allow you to get your time back? And of course that can be a family decision, but for me personally, I did this before and it was one of the reasons where I no longer felt guilty about bringing in additional support and doing some things in the house that I needed my time back. Once you can see the amount of time that you can reallocate towards your dream, then I want you to be unapologetically selfish about that time and have that time work for your dream. I did this exercise with a media entertainment executive. Her goal was to write a book, not leave her job, but write her book. When she first did this exercise, Jean, she could only find 30 minutes a day of extra time that she could give back to herself. She was a working mom, she was a working executive, she had high demands, but we found 30 minutes. She used that 30 minutes over a long period of time to write an outline for a book, to write a proposal for a book, to have conversations of how do I get this book out? And you know what? I'll never forget the day of going to this conference and I'm digging through this gift bag and bam, I pull out her book. (laughs) Um, And so it was a reality that started with this is the dream. I'm going to make some measurable goals. I'm going to find the time to work on this. And I want to use this 30 minutes, even if it means, you know, it takes me 12 months of this 30 minutes to a tangible, real dream that was manifested that I was holding in hand at this conference.
2: That's amazing. I love these strategies. You're so tactical, and strategic. And that's exactly what we need when we're talking about things like dreams, believe it or not. We need tactics. We need strategies in order to get to real results. Tanisha Jackson-Warner, thank you so much. The book is The Big Stretch, 90 Days to Expand Your Dreams, Crush Your Goals, and Create Your Own Success. I hope you'll come back with us sometime.
3: I will. And I wish you just the very best of everything that you're doing with this podcast. I can feel that you're operating in your passion purpose territory. So just continue to do what you're doing. This was amazing. And thank you for having me on.
2: Thank you too. And happy new year. We will be right back with Catherine and your mailbag. But just a reminder before we do that Her Money is supported by BCU, a credit union that helps its members feel confident and assured with the peace of mind that comes from making smart financial decisions. Visit bcu.org to learn ways to secure your financial future. Hey, everybody. If you're listening to this podcast around the time that it first airs, I hope you'll do me a big favor and head to hermoney.com to fill out our listener survey. Every year, we take your pulse. We try to figure out what you like about this show, what you don't like about this show. We ask you some questions about what you might want to see in this show in the future, Won't take a lot of your time, but it really will help us as we hit the road running in 2022 to make this the show that you want to listen to. Thanks so much. And Her Money's Catherine Tuggle is with us for your mailbag. Hey, Catherine. Hey, Eugene. You doing all right today? I am doing just fine. I had a very nice
0: time talking to Tanisha. Thanks for teeing that up. She was great. I feel very inspired. I'm going to take that energy with me the rest of the day.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Great energy. I mean, I've always been a fan of the SMART goals approach, but I just think the way she's approaching it, knowing you can only do so much in an abbreviated period of time, particularly when it comes to something like your finances or your career that's not going to change overnight, But giving yourselves those small, achievable pieces that you know you actually can hit is the key to long-lasting success. We had Elliot's family here for Thanksgiving. His kids were here, Sam and his wife Shelby, and Emily was here, and Elliot's ex-wife was also here, and her husband, Eric, and her mother, Jeanette. And before we hear a collective gasp across the podcast world, I think Elliot's ex-wife, Cynthia, is somebody I would have been friends with in another life. I feel like I'm friends with her now. She's a former journalist. They met in journalism school. And we've done this before. It's turned into actually a really, really nice tradition. But that's not where I was going with this story. Cynthia and Eric look amazing. And they look amazing because they've been on Noom, that app that gets you eating right and exercising and changing your habits. And I think the reason that it has worked is because it's small, manageable, trackable
0: pieces. I feel like I see pop-up ads for Noom on Instagram all the time. And there's a reason, I guess, why people are raving about it. Yeah, I don't think it's for everybody.
2: I don't think any solution is for everybody. But I think just like journaling is a solution for some people, and hypnosis is a solution for some people. I think you got to find the thing that works for you when it comes to changing your habits. And this seems to be working for a lot of people. But Tanisha's plan, I think, works as well.
0: Yeah. And going back to her point and your point about the small goals, this is exactly what we talk about in the world of budgeting. You know, like you have those incremental savings benchmarks that get you to the bigger goals at the end of your year or at the end of your life for retirement. And it's all about consistency. Yeah, 100%. And consistency to the point that you can
2: be consistent. And when there comes a time when you have a misstep, because there's always going to be a time that you have a misstep, you give yourself a little grace and you get back on the horse as soon as you can.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Let's answer some questions. For sure. Our first note comes to us from Jen. She writes, Hi, thanks so much for this podcast. I've learned so much about life and money. Over the past couple of years, I've done a pretty good job setting up and contributing to savings and retirement accounts. But there's one account that I'm not sure what to do with. It's an old brokerage account that my mom set up for me over 20 years ago. It's just sitting there untouched with about $90,000 in it. I finally looked into the asset allocation. There's about $25,000 in cash, and the rest is divided into three class A or M mutual funds with 0.8 to 1.3% expense ratios. My gut tells me that I'd do just as well or better with low-cost ETFs. I'd like to invest this money for the long term. What do you think? Also, is there a best practice way of selling and buying funds at different brokerage firms? I've only set up new accounts and never transferred. I'm curious about any possible tax-related issues if this is done incorrectly. Thank you. So such a great question, Jen. And taxes was exactly
2: where I was going to go on the answer. I don't know what stocks are in your account, but based on how the markets overall have done, in the past two decades, you've got some pretty big gains sitting in that account. And when you sell these funds, you are going to owe taxes, long-term capital gain taxes, very likely, on those gains. And for that reason, before you do anything, I would absolutely talk to your accountant if you have one, Or at least talk to somebody at that brokerage firm about what the taxable obligation will be if you did decide to sell. I think over the long term, you will do better with low cost investments, whether they're exchange traded funds, as you mentioned, or index funds. You've got a long time ahead in the future and paying much, much smaller expense ratios than you're paying now would absolutely benefit you. With the exception being if these particular mutual funds have been extraordinarily stellar performers. And the way to figure that out is to look at the type of mutual funds they are. Are they value funds? Are they growth funds? Are they large cap funds or small cap funds? Figure out what category they fall into, then go to Morningstar and compare the last 20 years of returns in the average Funds in that category against what you've got. If they're stellar performers, maybe there's a reason to hold on to them, but I really, really doubt it. As far as the best practice way of buying and selling at different firms, most people are doing it online themselves these days. So you sign on to your brokerage account, you figure out what you want to buy and you seriously just press a button. I've got an account, for example, at Fidelity where I trade a little bit. I do that with the flick of just a couple of keystrokes. It's very, very easy. And there are a lot of different financial services apps as well as brokerage companies that work the very same way but taxes are the main issue that you're gonna wanna consider here and you're gonna wanna consider them before you do anything. So talk to your accountant. And then my advice as always is to look to consolidate your accounts at a single place or two where it's really convenient for you to look at them. And that may be the place that you have your company retirement plan, your 401k, so that if you do sign on to their
0: portal, you can see all of your accounts at once. I cannot say enough good things about having all of your accounts in one place. As someone who left multiple jobs and left 401ks behind, bringing everything under one umbrella was the best thing I ever did.
2: Yeah, for me, very much the same. I like, I just like the clarity
0: of being able to see it all in one place. Yeah, for sure. Our next note comes to us from a member of the Private Her Money Facebook group. She writes, My husband and I just retired and are building our house and moving to be close to our grandkids. Our plan is to use the proceeds from selling our home to pay for our new one instead of having a mortgage. Our new home will be done in March. One of your podcasts mentioned that retirees without a mortgage are much more likely to be happy, and that's what we're going for. Our new home will likely end up costing $600,000, and we should end up with around $400,000 from the sale of our old house. If our old house doesn't sell before March, and we need to come up with around $200,000 or so for the down payment for a few months, where would you look to borrow this money? It doesn't seem like getting a mortgage for just a few months would be worth it, and I don't know if that's even possible. I thought about pulling some principal out of a Roth, but that doesn't really seem like a smart move. But I thought I remembered you could use the money from a Roth for like 90 days without penalty as long as you replace it. What do you think? I'm guessing there are some sort of bridge loans available, but I don't know much about them and I'd love some advice. Thank you. I wouldn't touch your Roth in a
2: situation like this. I think the The fear is always what happens if something occurs over those 90 days and you don't have the money to replace. I think it's just too big a risk to take. Instead, I'd look to a home equity loan. You clearly have equity in your current home. It's a very easy transaction to just borrow the money from your current home, and then you'll repay both the first and the second mortgage. The home equity loan or home equity line of credit is basically a second mortgage. You'll repay any debts on that home at the time of closing. Will you pay some interest? Yeah. You'll pay a little bit of interest, but it's a very, very short period of time. And so I would not mess around with your retirement if you don't have to. And by the way, I'm I'm sure that you remember how much I agreed with that study about not having a mortgage in retirement. I really think if you can swing it, that's the way to go just
0: because it takes one more big obligation off your plate. So good luck. Thanks, Jean. Yeah, and that episode, for anybody wondering, is episode 287 with Wes Moss. Awesome. Thank you, Catherine. Thanks for the great advice,
2: Jean. Anytime. In today's Thrive, ending a car lease early. First thing first, is it even possible to end a car lease early? Typically, you can only get out of a car lease if you die. And in some cases, if you pass away, your spouse might actually be required to continue the lease agreement. No, this doesn't sound good, but there is a ton of gray area. It's not impossible to get out of a car lease early. You just need to be prepared to invest some time and put in some work to make it happen. At hermoney.com, we've got a rundown about how to do it. Before you approach the dealer about ending your lease, take a look back at that lease agreement. Look at the number of payments remaining, the residual buyout value, and any early termination fees. Once you have a handle on that information, you can then approach the dealer and attempt to quote unquote, sell your car back to them. Interestingly, the pandemic has created a unique opportunity for people who are looking to do just this because there is a nationwide car inventory shortage. Right now, dealers need to get cars back, especially if they're cars they can easily resell and they're more likely to be flexible If you have a car that's in high demand and that they really want, like a Subaru or popular Toyota or Honda models, if your dealer won't let you out of your lease, you can consider swapping or selling it online via a lease trading site, but this only is probably going to work if you have a model that's in high demand or if you're willing to give some sort of compensation on the price if you're willing to give the person who takes that lease back from you a really good deal. Keep in mind that ending a lease early is like anything else with cars. It's a negotiation and you'll definitely have a leg up on negotiating an early lease ending if you decide to buy another vehicle or lease another vehicle from the same dealer. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Tanisha Warner for sharing her incredible insight on how to get to a better place in the next 90 days. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review because we love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Fidelity and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thanks for joining us and we'll talk soon.